Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. My name is Matt. And as far as I can tell, my name is Matt too. I think it is. We were trying to do this one on Facebook Live a few minutes ago. Yeah, and that didn't work out so well. Yeah, we just don't know what we're doing. So No, I, uh, about 20 minutes before we started, or trying to start it, I got onto YouTube and said, how do you do a dual broadcast on Facebook Live? That was literally the extent of, and it said basically, oh, you just press this, and then we tried it, and it didn't work. So we said, eh, screw it. We're just going to do it this way again. So if we put the link on Facebook, so if anybody comes in during this, uh, we'll, we'll uh, give you a shout out. Uh, maybe. There's going to be nobody. Nobody's doing this. Nobody even listens to this. There's like 17 people, and they're faithful. Well, and they're also sheltered in place now. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> That's true. So why not join us? Uh, so we've got a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to cover today, including lots of listener feedback and things that we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about, of course, the things that we want to talk about first, and we're going to try to limit this to an hour and a half before we get to the listener questions. If, if they're lucky. If they're lucky. The, yeah. Okay. So the first one that we've got is, is a link, actually. Uh, it is covid19.healthdata.org. What does that one do, yeah. Matt? This is a, it's actually a really important website because if you go to it and it really shows the current data for the number of hospital beds that are needed, bed shortages, ICU beds needed, um, et cetera. This is a, uh, it's a fantastic data source for looking at what's happening across the country in terms of um, the COVID-19 outbreak. And so it gives live information, updated information from uh, IHME, who I'm forgetting who that is. Oh, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, uh, which is an independent global health research center at the University of Washington. So uh, yeah, it's covid19.healthdata.org. It's, um, it's sobering data, but it's also real good data to look at um, in terms of what's needed, what's happening. So we will link that in the show notes and on all the social medias, of course. As long uh, as we remember to do that. That's also a very good point. Speaking of forgetting what to do, uh, <laughs> we've been doing a lot of Zoom links or Google Meets or what have you in the past couple of weeks, of course. Yeah. And uh, as people are new to the technology and are, some are using it for the first or few, first few times at least, um, I guess people don't really know the etiquette yet. Would you say Wait, that's there's, true? There's, there's Zoom etiquette? Uh, one of is, the, has it been around long enough for there to be <laughs> etiquette? Is there, is there a mismanners of Zoom? Uh, if not, we're about to, to do manner number one, uh, which is if you're on a meeting we with, make the manners. with more than two people, because right now it's just Matt and I, uh, if there's more than that, mute yourself if you're not talking, because it picks up everything. And honestly, if it's more than just Matt and I in general, just mute yourself anyway. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, one of the things that it does no, always pick up, it's, it picks up you typing on the computer like this. It yep. types you shuffling. It might cover some cats. It might cover people wandering through the background saying, what do you want for dinner, Matt? What do you want for dinner? I want a cookie. And, I want a cookie. And if you mute yourself, nobody hears any of that stuff. That was my grandmother, by the way. Because it's always fun when somebody's talking, it's really important information, and all of a sudden, 
as they pick up their laptop and move from the couch to the chair, all you're hearing is right. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, mute yourself if you're not talking. Also, what happens if you don't mute yourself and you get a phone call? Then everyone knows you get a phone call, and then everyone knows you're no longer in the meeting because you've gotten a phone call. And they can listen to one side. And they can of listen the phone to call. one side of the phone call. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go to a uh, little more serious topic about video conferencing, also, and it's about recording them. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of conversation happening about this because there's mm -hmm. a lot. You know, all these Zoom conferences, all these Google Meet classrooms that are happening right now. Um, so there's a lot of question of, can we record them? What's the difference if I were to record a classroom or in a Zoom situation versus if I were to be doing, say, recording in my classroom with the students there and I was doing some things for you know, their student portfolio? What's the difference? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that uh, I found some slides for a presentation that happened on Monday night, March 30th. Uh, from the U.S. Department of Ed about uh, privacy rights and virtual learning, and we will link to those somehow. It's like a, it's a 47-page document, but it was a webinar that Holy happened moly. on Monday night. Uh, it's really got some good information about uh, what to do or what not to do, uh, and all the different ins and outs that you may not have thought of. Yeah, um, for the most part, uh, it's really really good information as of. Uh, right now, which obviously may change later as things happen, but we will link to those uh, so people can peruse it since it is 47 pages and we're not going to go through them all. Uh, one of them, the uh, first thing says, uh, everybody, no. it says everybody will be automatically muted on this conference call. So hmm, we're ahead of the curve. Again, I guess, I guess there is a mismanners for conference calls. So the next thing we're going to talk about is during this remote learning time is about grading. Lots of questions about grading also. Yeah, a lot of questions about grading happening. Like how do you grade when you're sending home packets or not everybody is available to do online meetings like we are right now? Right. Um, so what, what do you do? And, well, and what are some of the things we've heard, Matt? Are you, are, you, like, are you grading from a summative perspective? For example, is this something that you're grading that there was a ton of instruction that happened before we went into closure and you're grading that? Versus, is it something brand new that you've been giving them or in reflection or on um, to have the stuff to have them do for compliance purposes or whatever it might be just to see what they're doing. So there's um, a lot of reasons why to grade and not to grade. Um, what's a lot of the conversation that I'm seeing out there is uh, schools who do the letter grading are going to a pass fail option. Um, that seems to be a pretty common approach. Yep, I've also heard some pass and not yet, depending pass on because, because uh, the theory is this is such a weird time. We don't want to punish kids for something that they are not used to slash not able to do, depending on their situation, especially as this you know moves forward and gets a little worse in our state in all the states. Um, so what what it's not their fault that that we're not able to provide. The learning that they are used to and right. some places are going to be different than others right some people have integrate online learning a little bit more into their classrooms regularly which makes this them a little bit ahead of the curve in this case so kids are more used to it right i mean yeah and so i think that 
the big step, the stepping sort of the big uh, blocker that I have with a lot of the discussion that's happening about grading is what do we do about GPAs? What do we do about college? What do we do about these other areas? That, what, what are we going to do? Because they have to have a GPA in order to get into college. So colleges are going to require it. So what do we do about that? I saw an article recently that said schools like MIT and there's other uh, University of Oregon, maybe it was another one. Um, one, they're getting rid of things like the uh, SATs during this time. So they don't worry about that for college admissions. But two, they're going to a pass not yet scenario. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, if the colleges are going that way, won't they understand the scenario if a person is applying? Pretty positive they will. Because I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but the people in the admissions offices are professionals at what they do. Always have been, as far as I know. Right. And so they know that admissions process way better than I do, better than most folks do. So... I'm going to kind of trust them to have that process down. I think I'd say the same thing. I think I'd say the same thing. So when it comes to grading overall, my stance has pretty much been, um, if you can just, if you can just give feedback, give feedback. Yep. I think a lot of people are figuring that out. Feedback is so much better because there's going to be, there's, there are so many variables that go into a classroom that a normal classroom situation, a teacher has some sense of, or can control and, and monitor. But in this situation, it's almost impossible. Yeah, I think so too. So we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about uh, grading a little bit more uh, with some of the questions that are upcoming. Uh, but as we do talk about remote learning and distant learning, uh, one of the things is that we are using right now with this, we record these on Zoom, which I know is mm-hmm. hugely popular right now, along with all of the Google Suite stuff, including Google Classroom. Um, so on our list of things to talk about today is what are some of the better remote learning tools? Uh, and I, as I was telling Matt before this, I am no <laughs> expert in any of this right now that, that it's not my forte about remote learning, but I know that you have, are quite a bit more advanced than me in this particular case. So what are some of the ideas that you have? Sure. So I, I was just thinking of a few of them offhand and like, well, zoom is one of them. And if you don't know much about zoom yet, um, I definitely recommend it because uh, not only can you do multiple group meetings, but the person in charge of it can control the room. They've opened up a lot of settings for people with uh, school domains to get some more advanced features than you might normally have. Mm-hmm. Um, plus with Zoom, you can screencast. It has a whiteboard. You can share directly from an iPad or an iPod or iPhone. If you have an iPod, I guess you could do it too, um, directly there. So there's a lot of sharing options. There's a lot of collaboration options. It's really nice. You can record things if you want to, which we got back to our recording conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoom is fantastic. Um, another one, that, that's great for both synchronous and asynchronous mm-hmm. uh, environments. Another one that's asynchronous that I absolutely love is Flipgrid. Mm-hmm. Flipgrid is an amazing tool where you're able to engage with your learners, um, but not necessarily in a live format you can ask them a question and they can respond to a question through video format and they respond in that way and then what can happen is um let's say for example you ask a question like what's the greatest Ernest Borgnheim movie of all time and Spo- uh, that's a spoiler for coming up that's it's, it's called a tease it's a teaser yes yes uh and so what happens then is someone will get online and say what they thought and then everyone can get online and say what they thought give their reasons behind that but the really benefit thing of, of Flipgrid is that they can then reply to each other. 
so you can not only see what they're doing, but you can have the students connecting with each other in these ways and learning and talking to each other in an asynchronous format. So that since we've talked about before how connection is so important, I absolutely love Flipgrid for that. Cool. Uh, that sounds, another one. That sounds great. Another one is a uh, is Pear Deck. I'm a big been a big proponent of Pear Deck for many years. And one of the, it's for those of you who don't know, Pear Deck is a tool that you take a Google Slides presentation and you can make it interactive. So you, if you're doing a presentation in your class and you do formative checks along the way, ask questions and get immediate responses from your students as long as they have a device. One of the things that they've come up with recently, or I wouldn't say recently, but it's been around for a while, is a student-paced version. And what that means is they go through it, they answer the questions on their own. Well, what that means is you can create an entire slide deck of either uh, new information or re reviewing information. You can make it an assessment. You can do, add links to it. You can add websites into it. And um, the students can do it on their own. When they finish it, uh, you get a copy of their results and they get a copy of their results. So it's a great measurement of a uh, great way of doing formative and or summative measurement in this time. Very cool. Uh, the, the, the last online one, because I'm going to go to some analog ones in a second too, um, is Newzella. I'm a huge Newzella fan, um, and it has a bunch of options for um, both informational and uh, informational texts in a lot of ways from English language arts, science, social studies, and we've talked about them on this platform before, um, but they, the ability that they have to connect with your learners in um, ways so you can annotate the text and you can ask questions right there and get information connected directly to Google Classroom if you're using that. It's, a, it's very, very, very powerful for ways in which it can be connected. Um, so those are three analog or online. Uh, very quickly, three analog. Right? Well, four including Zoom, but three. One, um, because I'm a fan of computer science, CS Unplugged. Yes, it is an online website, but what it is is computer science activities that you do without a computer. I did one of these with my daughter, my first grader, a week or so ago. We did a computer science lesson of how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And it took, it, she was engaged for 45 minutes just making peanut butter and jelly. Nice. It was awesome. Uh, the second are games. And role-playing games or board games or card games. These are fantastic opportunities for learning. Just had to look at them in a different way. Role-playing games are great for teaching things like empathy, for story-making, for creativity in that way. A game like Battleship. Think about the grid. You're learning about data and points, and you're making real critical thinking and problem-solving and deduction from there. Um, Pictionary, I've done with my kids so far. Uh, so board games, card games as well. Um, and also, finally, Sidewalk Chalk. Sidewalk Chalk is a fantastic tool for, I've seen just walking around, uh, my neighborhood things like uh, obstacle courses for the younger kids. Um, you can go out and you can write positive messages onto a sidewalk to give people a little bit of a lift in this time, and it helps. You know, those are little things. So, those are some remote learning tools, both that I that I think are good. That sounds awesome. So during all of this time, when we do our, some of these remote learnings, uh, one of the questions we've had is, when will all this be over? what should we be telling our staff and students and community? Yeah. And <laughs> one of the questions I would yes. say, we're, we're obviously in Maine now. It is a, we're in a stay at home place and schools are closed at least until the end of the month. 
um, I would assume to make this really go away as fast as possible, that this is going to be going on for quite a while, probably till the end of the school year. I've been, um, yeah, I agree. I've been saying to a lot of my staff and people who I talk to that right now that the rule is uh, May 1st. Yep. I think we hope for May 1st. Yep. But we plan for longer. I think we have to. I, I think it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the only really responsible thing to do at this point. Yeah. Um, because if we just plan for May 1st and then we get there, we're left with this whole idea of trying to reshuffle everything again and start everything new again. And that model that thinks being um, the Stephen Covey uh, seven habits of effective people, um, that's an urgent and important. You can't live there all the time because mm -hmm. you just get completely stressed out and, it, and it's good for no one. Right. Right. So we have to plan for, I don't know how much longer. I honestly don't know, but hope for the best plan for longer. As so always, I, I would agree with that one. Um, the last thing we have before we get to some of the questions are about uh, driving colleges to being test optional. Yeah. I, I tease, I t t talked about this a little bit when we talked about the grading, but there, mm -hmm. uh, there are some, because students can't get out to do the testing, um, there are, according to an article that I've read from Inside Higher Ed on March 30th, 2020, quote, there are at least 17 colleges that have dropped the SAT or the ACT in recent weeks for one or two admission cycles, specifically citing the impact of COVID-19. Uh, Boston University is one, Tufts, um, University of Oregon, Oregon State, uh, by the way, University of Oregon, go Ducks, um, and uh, a few others. Are, are doing this as well because they realize the impact that students just can't get out to take it. And, you know, that kind of impacts testing if they can't take the test. Yeah. As, as I, I think we mentioned last week, one of the, one of the things that, that I've been thinking of as an opportunity during this crisis is to really reimagine some of the things that we've, that we do about, about learning. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we'll have a, as this goes on, we'll we'll have a full episode about that. That'd be really fun to get into into that a little bit about the impact on learning. Yeah, in ways and to changes. like restructure that. I know we're going to have one of our listener questions. We're going to talk about the state assessment system, um, but let's do a pod later that talks about really the the bigger picture and what this means. Since we are going to be out for a while. Yeah, I don't know. This kind of sounds off brand because we usually just throw these things together last minute. Oh yeah, we're actually well, planning one ahead of time. We, you, I, and all of our listeners know we will forget this. So it's not a big deal. <laughs> so let's go on to one of the things that uh, has been, seemed to be a recurring theme, uh, not listener questions because we don't really do that that often, but no. uh, we are going to get into our listener questions uh, section right now in our first one. Yeah. So, thank you. By the way, we, we put this question out a couple of days ago to say like, before we recorded, like, Hey, what do you want us to talk about? We're going to do a recording thing. What do you think? And that's some great questions from folks. So thank you for those of you uh, faithful 17 who chimed in. Exactly. And for one of these, by the way, another teaser, one of these is the best question that we've ever been asked in anything. <laughs> and we'll get to that about halfway through. Uh, so the first one uh, isn't really a question, but we took it as a question. It's from Megan Welter. Thanks, Megan. Yep. Thanks, Megan. It's, it was just hashtag Borgnine. Hashtag Borgnine. So... 
I don't know if it's a question, but we turned it into a question. So we we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the great Ernest Borgnine. The the. Yes, the great, I couldn't think of a better word, the great, my brain throws up on me. So including Hashtag lots of suck. amazing things here. So as we're, we're trying, we're going to do like top five movies or TV that he's ever been in. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think that's the way you took it. And it just, like, uh, just like the, the pause cast with Joe Posnanski and Michael Shore, uh, we just had a topic and then we determined our own spin on it and we just kind of go from there. So that's what we're right. going to talk about here. We have not seen each other's list. We have not talked about it. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know where you're going with it. So so I wrote four things down, none of the obvious ones. Uh, by the way, Ernst Borgnine had 208 credits in his life. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he died at the age of 95. Uh, one of them I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save till the end. Uh, but none of the obvious ones. I wrote down a lot of the, the strange ones. Uh, one, I guess one obvious one. So do you want me to start or you, Matt? Well, I'll start because I kind of went fairly obvious with some of them. Okay. I was like, because I, 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 I went from the perspective of what would I consider to be the best of Borgnine? Ah, I went with more of the offbeat Borgnine. The off the, off the beaten path Borgnine. Sort of, I guess. So, okay, you start. So I said for uh, top five, number five for me is All Quiet on the Western Front. That's it. I just love, I think that's a great story and I love it. And it's, I love the fact that it's a, it's a protest novel and that it, it's just a wonderful story. I can already tell that we totally did this differently. <laughs> so my first one was uh-huh. uh, a movie he did in 2010, which was a couple of years before he died. So he was, he was in his nineties at this point and he was in the movie Red. And if you remember Red. Red. Oh, I know. It had like Bruce Willis. And like and well, Samuel L. Jackson in that one too. Morgan, Morgan Freeman Morgan and like Freeman. Helen Mirren. And it's basically old retired spies had to get back yeah, in the action. Okay. So Ernst Borgnine uh, played Henry the Records Keeper. And I have seen this movie more than once, potentially more than twice. And it was just a small scene, but basically he was – just an older spy that had retired to the records keeper room and they had to go find him to get to whatever their next spot in the movie was. And I remember him specifically in this movie. It was great. He was in his nineties, but he was full on Ernest Borgnine. That's awesome. It was great. That's a you're good next. Pull. You're next. Yeah. Oh, I've got better ones, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you, you've done a way better job at this than I have. <laughs> Because I just went obvious. Like, well, for me, number four is McHale's Navy. Oh, standard. But not the show and not the one from the 60s. The one with, no, the one with, uh, with uh, Kelsey Grammer. Ah, that is more of the unknown one. You know, he, he, he shows up in that one. Um, when you see Dr. Fraser Crane underwater with the, yeah, it's just, it was a fantastic. Well, my next one. Uh, Wait a minute. Was... Am I confusing that with Down Periscope? <laughs> I think I might be confusing that with Down Periscope. McHale's Navy. I'm clicking on it right now. Uh, it was with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so wrong, aren't I? <laughs> you are. You are very wrong, but in a better way. It's with Tom Arnold and Dean Stockwell. I. I knew, yeah. Okay. Tom Arnold. Along that's... with 
along with this is like an all-star cast Let's it's a great cast it's a great cast it's a funny movie it's it's not yeah deborah but messing i have no credibility now deborah messing tim curry david allen greer ernst borgnine of course played cobra bruce campbell french stewart this is amazing i don't know if it's, i've it's a, it's a funny movie i just it. i just i just confused my 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 naval movies as you do I, right. I totally, I totally get down, that. Because Down Periscope was the one with Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery, right? I'm not even going to start going down that rabbit hole. I think that's Hunt for Red October. <laughs> the one where Sean Connery does the Scottish Russian mix accent. Oh yeah! Wow, that was brutal. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that I movie. Too. And Alec Baldwin when it, when it, is Jack Ryan. When it when it zooms in, they're speaking Russian, and it zooms out, and they're speaking English. I was blown away. Okay, here we get to get back to Borgnine here. My next one is from a uh, great must-see TV show of the '90s, The Single Guy, with Jonathan Silverman. Wow, The Single Guy. Ernst Borgnine played Doorman Manny, and he was in every single episode, all two years that The Single Guy lasted. Really? Doorman Manny. I remember that I also watched the single guy because it was like that was that like the probably the nine thirty time slot in between Cheers and ER, or not Cheers know. at that point Friends and ER. I don't know, but it was uh, it was it was great and Ernst Borgnine was in it, which made it great. His name was Manny Cordoba, and he played also known as Doorman Manny all forty three episodes. Your turn. You yeah you you really <laughs> just you're really showing me up here. I did a I. I really lived by our sounds like work moniker. You actually did some deep diving into this. Well, my yeah. number three is, is I went for, I did go for a TV show this time. Didn't go okay. for a movie, but I went to the eighties. Okay. Airwolf. On my list. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Airwolf was a great show. I loved Airwolf. So Airwolf, this is what, since we've gone down the path a little bit, Airwolf was, I thought the same TV show that it ended because the lead guy got had like an accident and got shot with like a there was a blank or something. Uh, so I looked up the star was Jan Michael Vincent uh, played, which is amazing. His uh, character name is Stringfellow Hawk, and his partner on that show his name was Fellow Hawk. Stringfellow Hawk and Alex Cord was the other star in that movie, other than Ernst Borgnine. Alex Cord's character name was Michael Coldsmith Briggs III. But Jan Michael Vincent uh, just died last year. So he was clearly not the guy. So I'm mixing up my uh, 80s helicopter TV shows. And if you remember what the other TV show was, somebody please let us know because I can't remember for the life of me. Somebody's going to know this because... Oh, I'm sure they do. That's who our listeners are. I can think of a couple of listeners who I know are for the Faithful Seventeen who one are screaming at the top of their lungs right now that we don't we don't know it, and two have been screaming throughout this entire bit. <laughs> hey, at least they're still listening. <laughs> for now, yeah, they've, they've pressed the forward thirty second button several times. <laughs> also true. All right, uh, I guess it's my turn. You took my Airwolf one, uh, but I'm going to one of his last credits: uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. SpongeBob, I thought about that one. He played Mermaid Man with his with Tim Conway was Barnacle Boy. Honestly, for for, for folks like um, my age and and your age, SpongeBob 
kind of flew under the radar. Mm-hmm. But that's a really good show. It, it, is, it started right around the time my kids started watching TV. So in 99. Okay. Uh, so we watched a lot of the first three or four seasons before they moved on to you know, Disney Channel. So SpongeBob was like genius. It was great. And it's still yeah. going, as it turns out, even though the guy who made it uh, is no longer alive. I think it's still going a little bit. Uh, and he played that role right up until he died. He was in 15 episodes as Mermaid Man. And if you haven't seen any of them, go watch them. They are so good, especially Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. <laughs> it's so good. He's so funny. That's... <laughs> so what are we recommending? We're recommending to our, to our listeners Red and Barnacle Boy episodes. He was Mermaid Man. But yes, Barnacle Boy, he was also in all of them. And that was Tim Conway, who was also comic genius. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, an equally uh, levitous route and say The Dirty Dozen. Nice. Uh, that was one of, my, one of my final ones, or my, my top, my second of all time. Because that movie is just start to finish amazing. All-star cast, great from the beginning, great to the end. Love it. So... I um, only have one weird one left, so I'm going to go with Escape from New York. That's my number one. <laughs> Is it really? It re- <laughs> he flayed the cavi. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it was, A, amazing movie. But B, he was a key part of that. It was great. We're going to have to post what your your list definitely on my mind is like unreadable as you can see right here <laughs> uh we did skip uh, quite a bit um he was the oh, star yeah. of, he was the star of marty which came out in 1955 uh, we film. we've obviously talked about the Poseidon adventure uh beyond what it should be talked about um he and it also says he was in Gattaca, which is one of my favorite strange movies from the nineties. But I do not remember one. him. I love that movie, but I do not remember him in this at all. My honorable mention for Ornus Borgnine. I don't know if you can see it on my little scratching. Basketball. Basketball. I I thought about that one. Uh, I want to wrap up our Borgnine section with actually sure. the weird the weirdest one. Uh, which took okay. me in my five minutes of research like to figure it out. His last credit was in 2018, which right away is strange because he died in 2012, but there's that. Uh, it's called <laughs> Railroad to Hell, A Chinaman's Chance. It's a Western. What? And here's the full summary. It's, uh, <laughs> it's so strange. Uh-oh. Eight, 1870s America. A Chinese immigrant falsely accused of murdering a white woman is viciously hunted down. He'll have to prove his innocence in a time when people of color had no legal rights and could be bought and sold for a profit. Uh, blah, 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 on and on. So I'm, I'm like, okay, this obviously, he was still alive because I see his picture on the cover here. Um, this obviously was made long ago. There are multiple uh, Railroad to Hell movies. And I just want to give you a couple of people that are in the cast, other than Ernest Borgnine. These aren't like the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Road 2 movies, are they? This is... Oh, I'm guessing not when Danny Trejo is also... Oh, in. it goes that way. It's, 
It's got Lorenzo Lamas. Lamas? Lorenzo Lamas? Remember from the, I think from I think the it's 90s? Lamas. I'm not sure, but I didn't know he was still around. Uh, Tommy Chong. Nice. Coolio. Fantastic Voyage. <laughs> Coolio. Come along and ride. <laughs> and Lines, Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine and Coolio share a credit. They, they really do. Uh, and the, the, again, the best one part, the user, first user review that comes up says, uh, waste of time, <laughs> melodrama instead of history. Like they were looking for real history. But I also did find out that there are more of these movies out there, the, the uh, Railroad to Hell. Um, and that's as far as I got. But it does have a 7.3 rating on IMDb. And Ernest Borgnine is Judge Holiday. 7.3. All right. I might have to go find this one. Mm, apparently, if you also go into the questions, you can't find this movie anywhere, which. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm really just going to leave that one there. All right. Back to uh, Tiger King. <laughs> so, Megan, I hope that uh, expanded your knowledge of, of Ernest Borgnine. Um, and if you shut us off by now, I, I totally understand. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh, there's no one listening at this point. No, unless you had a question, you're waiting for our answers, especially for the big question coming up later. But let's just go to the next one. Thank you for indulging us, folks. Uh, so the next a little one. A bit of silliness at this time of day, this time of, uh, <laughs> of our lives is kind of needed. Our next one is from Jennifer Barassa. Welcome, Jennifer. And thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. So she talks about uh, a theory of action sort of discussion on learning and assessment during a pandemic and how to enact necessary and sudden change without setting everyone's hair on fire. These are great questions. Great questions. Which one do you want to take first? Uh, let's do the necessary sudden change one first. Sure. Uh, in my view, one of the first things you do is stick with what you know, stick with what you're comfortable with, but also focus on the, on, focus on the people. Yep. Focus on them, not just not the product, not the end results, not the grade, not the numbers, not the, focus on what the people need. Yep. And then what you can once you can do that, you can make those change. You can start making changes happen real systemic. Sudden, but focus on the people first. Yeah. So one of the one of the things in, in my district is that we are starting with the people using the things that they know in order to continue when their kids are no longer with them. Right. We, we can't do brand new training with teachers on all these fancy digital tools no. because it's not something they're used to. And that, that takes time and that they should be in a room and trying to figure this stuff out together. Uh, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's, it's concentrating on the people and do what you know, because there's, there's no other way to do it if you try to overwhelm people, it's just like overwhelming the kids. They're just going to shut down and not do it. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and given that our, our business is all about people anyway, it's a, it's, it's a human-centered world. You can't just come at it from a perspective of an end result or a data point. You got to come at it from where the people are. Yeah. And... If, if, the, if the change is necessary, like this thing, like we have to completely change how we do school, how we've traditionally done school for 100 plus years, well, then find out where the people are. What can they do? What are their options? What are the things that they have available to them? 
our teachers, what do they know? What do they have available to them, et cetera? And then try to find and make that connection between the two and make that connection really strong at first. Focus on that, that, that. And then you can start getting to maybe trying to weave back in some of these other things that we're used to in a different way. I think that's but that right. takes time. It takes time. And yeah. we're, what, we're, we're recording this, what, two and a half weeks into this? Yeah. So give yourself some, so give some breathing room. Yeah. It's okay. It is okay. And I think that's one of the key messages. And um, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. I want, I want to make sure we say that too, because if you're not okay, that's okay. Just talk to people, get connected. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's the most important thing. I've seen a lot of teachers um, that have teachers and administrators that have like uh, newborns and stuff at home or, or very young kids yeah. and trying to handle all of that when suddenly you're home all the time and you're trying to teach or administer. And it's, you know, it's very, very difficult. Um, so I like what you said about being okay with not being okay. That's yeah, totally that's fine. kind of my new mantra these days. I think it's a good idea. Uh, the second part of what Jennifer said, I think leads back into what we talked about earlier, a theory of action sort of discussion on learning and assessment in a pandemic. I think, Jennifer, we're going to attack that in a later pod about what does this mean on a bigger scale? What, what, does, what does this give us an opportunity for uh, to look at our systems uh, and how kids learn? And I, th I think it's worth a larger discussion than we have time for here. Otherwise, yeah. we're gonna, we'll be here until literally forever. Uh, so let's, uh, let's do a future pod on that. But we definitely want to get to that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very important question because I think that we, hopefully this will never happen again, but it also is, is pushing us to look at how we do teaching and learning, how we do learning and assessment in general. Right. And I think that we can figure out ways of um, what's working here, could it work in places beyond this pandemic situation and what really works for kids? So we'll do a future pod on that one. Our Kick next can. That's what we do best. Our next question is from Jeff Bailey. Hey Jeff. Uh, he talks about uh, some guidelines for how to handle remote teaching and what are schools being told to do and why? Wow. Uh, I, from what I know, uh, schools for remote, remote teaching and learning, it's almost always going to be a uh, local control decision, yep. how that's all happening. Um, there are some things coming out of the Department of Education, things like they're waiving certain um, attendance requirements and certain day requirements. The assessments are being waived. There's a lot of things that are happening in, in that realm. But when it comes to how to actually do the remote teaching, that's up to the schools to decide. Some schools are going to do almost all virtual. I've seen that where every single person has to be connected online somehow. Mm -hmm. Or it could be all analog. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a mixture of both. And is it 60-40? Is it 70-30? Um, and so I think it goes back to that whole enacting sudden change without setting everyone's hair on fire from Jennifer Barassa. Right. Start with the people. If your staff is comfortable at first with the analog stuff, support them with the analog to make the connections and then build up. If they're really comfortable with the online, focus on that. Same with the yep. students. Start where their strengths are 
and then figure out what those strengths are and then weave from there. But that's, that's all a local decision. I think that's a, a good guide for what we're going to talk about in the future too, is like if we start with the strengths of the kids and build off of those and get them involved a little bit more, we'll be able to help them learn even faster than we usually do. Right. So we're not just lot- going we're actually going to presume that they're coming in or at a place where we think they should be. We're actually going to know where they actually are. Right. Yeah, that sounds that sounds reasonable. Which I think is one of those things that we can talk about that later pod. I think about that'd be a good discussions idea. and learning and assessment because all kids are going to be all over the place when they come back from this. Oh, I've got millions of ideas for that next pod already. <laughs> uh, let's get to our next question. Our next question is from Stephanie Cantor. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks. So. Uh, let's do the first one. She's got two questions. We're going to start with the first one first. Uh, I'd love to hear your ideas on a, nobody loves to hear our ideas. I just want to say, no. Stephanie, come on. That's I, you, we, we appreciate the formality and, and, the, and the kindness and the, uh, the manners, may I say that you used, <laughs> you know, very, very polite of you. However, we understand the realism <laughs> behind it is that no, you don't want that. No, you don't want that. You want to hear us talking about Ernest Borgnine for another 20 minutes. Hey, just keep hitting the rewind button. Uh, anyway, she wants to She wants to hear ideas. How do we go with that? Quote, unquote. <laughs> on feedback, formative assessments, and grading in this environment. I think we've touched on some of these things. Uh, the grading one is basically do no harm, right? We want. I'd agree. We, we want kids to uh, show what they know and show evidence on what they know but we don't want to punish anybody for this situation when they're learning in an environment that they are not used to. Uh, and it's something that is not their fault. Uh, we want to give them the credit for the things they do do, but not anything more than that. <laughs> yeah, I know I did it. I did it. Uh, but I did go there, uh, but we don't want to punish anybody. And I, I think Matt, you've already talked about uh, the importance of feedback already. Uh, yeah. uh, what seems like about 20 hours ago at this point. Um, when we went down the Borg nine rabbit hole. Um, but I think, I think the feedback is most important. I think all of, if you do any assessing at this point, uh, it needs to be all formative at this point. Um, the, there's just no way, unless, unless you're in one of those districts that is really advanced and really good with the online learning and kids are already used to it. It's going to be really tough uh, to do anything more than that. Any, any new and final learning. Yeah, because think about it. If you have a classroom of 25 students and there's a lot of variability in access of what students can get to, you're going to then be giving them a summative grade when all that variability exists. That just doesn't, that's just not fair. It's just not fair. That's just not fair. It's not not equitable. And uh, that is going to, that would cause a greater equity gap. So that's where the summative grading becomes a real challenge in this kind of environment, unless you can have that consistency across all students. I would agree. But I don't think we have that. I don't think so we have formative, that formative, formative, feedback, feedback, feedback. So Stephanie's second question, I imagine is right up your alley, Matt, for some reason. I, I, I actually, this is what I researched a lot longer than on Ernest Borgnine, to be honest with you. <laughs> first of all, because I just looked at that's the, amazing. Uh, First of all, I just looked at the IMDb. This one, oh, I went down, read the rabbit hole on this one. Okay. So Stephanie's second question is, uh, my son wants to know, uh, first of all, Stephanie, we know that this is not about your son. This is your, <laughs> <laughs> this is your question. Uh, okay. 
my son wants to know, quote unquote, <laughs> if it's possible to survive by only eating boogers, and if so, for how long? The answer is yes. And the, okay. the first part. And the second part, forever. Wow. Okay. But the only caveat is you can only eat boogers. Well, th that is the question. It's only eating boogers. Yes. You can't have another burger. The answer is yes. You can't have a booger. You can have a booger on your burger, but it doesn't count. So I'm going to say that since this question came in like a day or two ago, this has been your research. I'm very hungry right now. Okay. Well, let's go to Just the next you one. Know. Well, I, well, you can have a sandwich. I, went, I saw a Reddit thread on this. And so I went down, I, I read it and someone said that in the Reddit thread. So I went, oh, okay. Must be true. So I've been trying it for the last couple of days. Well, uh, since you're very hungry, you could get a sandwich. But apparently, Amy Tucker says that a hot dog is not a sandwich. Already adjudicated. Yeah, that's one of the greatest tweets we've ever received. I gotta be honest. Totally agree. Not a question, but she's also a hundred percent right. Where do you are you? Do you think that a hot dog is not a sandwich? It is not a sandwich. It is just not a sandwich. Do you disagree on this one? Kind I know do. it's a piece of meat between two pieces of bread. Yes, which is the, I get it. Or it's it's, it's not it doesn't have to be meat, but it has to be a piece of bread with something in between it. Well, if it's hot dog, it's not meat. So there's that. Yeah, for those of you who've seen the fantastic movie with uh, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, The Great Outdoors, listen to the raccoons. They know what hot dogs are made out of. Holy moly. Okay. Uh, so hot dog is not a sandwich. Maybe that'll I, be our next thing. I, I claim that a hot dog is a sandwich because it meets the criteria. It is not a sandwich. Tweet at just us. Like if you, just like if you put bread in between two slices of bread, that's a bread sandwich. No, that's called a loaf. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Uh, by the way, tweet at us if you think a hot dog is a sandwich or not. Uh, our next question, ugh, back to a serious question. I uh, know. Darn it. Uh, Hillary Goldthwaite Fowles says, what about ways to make online learning accessible to individuals with disabilities first instead of after? So the, I think the idea here is to actually know your strengths and weaknesses of all your kids and then create env environments to meet their needs am i getting that right i think so um so uh yes <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it was a yes or no question but it is it is a question that i think fits into our larger like how do we redesign learning systems right for kids uh when we think about individuals with disabilities um, sometimes uh, I think she's asking, how do we make online learning accessible after we've thought about how to do online learning period? And I'm going to interpret this question as it should be thought of at the beginning. Like, how do we meet every kid's needs with this tool that I want to use? And if it exactly. doesn't meet that criteria, then why are we using that tool? I think we should be asking ourselves that. Well, I think we can we can still use that tool if it doesn't just because it doesn't work for every kid doesn't mean we can still don't have to use that tool. I think we can use it, but it can't just be the only tool we use. I think that's a better way to put it. Because what what one of the things we have to be very careful and we say I've said this with with, with textbook programs for many years. Um, a textbook doesn't work for every kid. 
it works for some kids, but not all kids. Mm -hmm. So great, it's a great resource, but it can't be the sole of your curriculum. Right. It can't be everything. You have to have other options and other variabilities. So test something, see how it works for your students, for your learners. And if it works for some, great. If it doesn't work for others, you have to find those things that work for others. And if you have a student with an exceptionality, then you should be looking at those other areas or the real tools and resources that are specific towards their exceptionality. And hopefully folks in your special education department can help um, point you in those directions. Um, but it should be along with, alongside of at the same time as every other learner. I think that's a great way to, to put that one. Uh, let's go with our final one since we're running on. Thank you, Hillary. Close to an hour, yes. Thank you very much for the question. Our last question for today is from Tom Keller. Hey, Welcome, Tom. Tom. Thanks. Thanks for the question. Uh, Pender, Commissioner Macon, says it's a good time to revisualize the state assessment system. Uh, as, as everybody knows, the state assessments have been canceled for this year, uh, and Maine has received a waiver to uh, get rid of them for the year. As Lisa Kudrow and David Spade once said in a Saturday Night Live bit, bye-bye. Uh, so Tom wants to know, what are our hopes and dreams for the new state assessment system, or how do we revisualize this one? I've got a, at least one answer, but you start. You want me to start? Sure. Okay. Um, so I'm actually going to make a connection to something else in um, the education realm that I don't think we've talked about much, okay. and that's PEPG. Um, yeah, one of the we, things that I... What, wait, what? It, we've... We've never talked about that. Okay, well, if you haven't, don't know what that is, just, just type in PEPG and I'm sure our faces will come up. <laughs> uh, um, so what P, what, what, when chapter 180 was first developed all those years ago, one of the best things I think that they did was they said, we know there's not one model of evaluation. You could use the Marzano model, you could use the NTAS, the Danielson, the Marshall Plan, all these different options you have available to you. You decide. What your, what your way is going to be, and then here are the other criteria that we have, and that your plan has to fit these criteria, and you can use that particular tool to help get to there. Well, why can't we do that same model or approach with assessment? So for example, if a district is using the NWEA, well, it's benchmarked, it can be created as a summative assessment. Uh, there's a couple of states that are already working on that. Why can't we use that assessment um, as our state assessment, if it's already aligned to our standards, which it is. Mm -hmm. So we could then have our students test less and we could also get our educators better information, immediate information to impact the learning and the instruction. Same thing if, you, if you're using a STAR or Ames Web or any of these other progress monitoring or stuff like assessments that could be used in this particular way. I would love for them to create like a menu Mm -hmm. That's a logistical nightmare in terms of purchasing and funding and et cetera. But oh, I tell you, that would, that would be so great to have that. And if they could just benchmark them and then they could align that, that's what I think. That's very interesting. Um, one thing that I was thinking of was something that people have kind of thrown out a little bit over the last year or two is not test every student, but sample students. Uh, much like the, what is it the 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 national ones the the NAEP tests sample schools every year instead of being able to um, 
instead of being able to test every single kid, you just do a sample of some kids and see what happens there. Uh, you might be get better results. Uh, one of the questions about state assessments is you're over-testing kids. Uh, and so I think this would be a way to alleviate some of that. And I think it would be a, a, a great idea for somebody to throw out there. So we're gonna uh, look at a couple of these different particular ones. Gonna have to, now I have to edit. I'm, oh no, now you're all set. You're gonna go set. now? Yeah, you don't have to edit. Leave okay. this on, leave, this, leave it all in. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't know what any of this was. This is our last question. We've been going on for an hour. There's literally nobody listening except us. At this point, no. No. Okay. Where can you find but us? But I think I think your idea, I think your idea about the state assessment is good too. Oh, thanks. I think I think anything that's would change could be better than what we have right now. Did I just I think, say that out loud? I, I do think that. I also think that throwing these things on the table so we have real discussions about them are also good ideas. Uh, because yeah. we're never gonna change unless we come up with something that somebody else hasn't thought of. Now, both of the things that we've talked about today is not a brand new spanking idea, nope. but let's put it around the table and see how many people come up with that. And if we like one of them, how about we try to get that and make that happen? Give it a shot, see what happens. Where can you find us, Matt, to give us feedback on hot dogs, Borg9, boogers, and the state assessment <laughs> system? Uh, you, well, of course, you can tweet at us at, on Twitter at MainEdMatters, uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash MainEducationMatters. Uh, and if you can find both those links on our website, there's a contact us page too. You can email us or send us a link there. That's where you can find us online. And we'll put out all of the information we talked about today and various social media channels as Matt just talked about. And if you're still here... We should have a code, a code word if they've, if they've gone this far. Tweeted us the code, a code name or something. Oh, no, here's uh, going to be our code name because this is like the, the podcast used to do this too when they had their two and a half hour pause, uh, podcast and it's one of my favorite ones. So uh, if you've listened to the end, you want to hashtag boogers. Hashtag boogers. That's it. Okay. If you've, if you've made it this far, hashtag boogers at us and we'll, uh, there are no prizes but there's no prizes. <laughs> there's no prizes, but you'll be. Uh, and so for all you professionals out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hashtag buggers. That's it for that. We're done. Bye. Right. Bye. <laughs>